Welcome to this week's episode of Eye of the Swarm, Season 4, Episode 18 of your deep dive into anything and everything related to Yellow Jacket Athletics with our production engineer, Sanyum Shrusta, and the big sound, Matt Johnson. I am John Garver, and uh, well, let's start off with our weather report, Matt, because <laughs> um, we, we talk about weather a lot. You know whether it's the transition from a se- what into one season or another, or we should have our Garber own fighting with I his think. wife to buy a new snowblower or right. something along that line. I feel like at but this point, the, the weather right now is absolutely wreaking havoc on yeah. the spring sports schedule. I feel like at this point in the year, we usually we should probably have a meteorology segment just because I feel like we need one. Yeah, because it, it, it really does dictate everything that we're doing right now. It does, because they're yeah. all outdoor sports. Yeah, and it, it's the only time of the year where that really happens. I mean, there are, and we've touched on this before in other podcasts, how the fall sometimes, every once in a while, you'll get a big thunderstorm or something will come along, um, you know, that might push a game back or we might have a delay or something. But nothing to the degree not that we like get. this. No, nothing to the degree that we get uh, in the spring. And for the for people who aren't local, right, who yeah. might be tuning into this, the last one of these we did was prior to it was early March, right. It yeah. was prior to the spring trips and everything, and we we had had you know a decent amount of snow on the ground because the storms in February and everything. Well, we pro- following that episode, we had two right, yeah, huge storms right in a row, big storms right in a row that dumped you know upwards of. 18 inches to two feet of snow here. Well, the roof caved in at the mall. Yeah, the roof caved in at the mall. Uh, a friend <laughs> of mine, the roof caved in on his garage. So we've had significant snowfall, yeah. and yeah. temperatures are in the single digits at night. None of this stuff is melting. No. And I was, talk- a, I was talking to Kenny Olson, you know, the the longtime right, yeah. sports editor at the Superior Telegram, and he, and he says, Garbs, I've been here my whole life. I cannot remember this time of year having this much snow still sitting on the ground yeah yeah my uh my dad's coming to visit me in a couple of days here and one of the things he wants to do is he wants to go snowshoeing and he was concerned about the condition of the snow and i said i'll go and look at it some of it's going to be yeah. really nice and some of it's going to be like really cement. icy but um i said i'll tell you this we're not lacking for it i mean we've got so much of it and i was to the point where if there were, you know, there were a couple of storms that we kind of missed out on too, that they were saying that we could have gotten extra inches of snow that we didn't, you know, a couple where we got three or four instead of the seven or eight that they were saying we were going to get, which we all kind of breathed a sigh of relief because there's nowhere to put it anymore. We're running out of space. And, uh, you know, if we get another huge storm, we're going to have the same problem because the stuff that we have right now, while we've had a few days that have allowed some of it to melt, um, there hasn't been a lot of it. I no, mean, there's, there hasn't been a noticeable amount of melt yet. Right. And when we do, it's going to flood out some things. I We're mean, going to have some floods and some very wet yards and basements, obviously. Well, and yes. for the people who live, you know, in Duluth down at Park Point and stuff like that. Buckle up. Yeah, because the lake is going to be over full. There's no room for this stuff. You're looking at about a month to get your entire conference schedule in on the softball yeah. side. Yeah. And you've got fields everywhere here under snow yeah. still and under ice. Yeah. And yeah. now you're looking at, okay, we're going to be moving these games into domes. Yeah. We're going to be playing them on turf football fields. Yeah. It's, it's, That's what it's going to come down to. It's really unfortunate. Yeah. It's really unfortunate. And we, you know, but it, it's what happens in these parts. But at the same time, it's not always like this. We were talking before we even started the show today about the spring of 2020. When mm-hmm. COVID shut everything down, every game would have gotten in on time when it was scheduled to be played because there was nothing on the ground at that time. Right, yeah. I remember having those weekends at home going, so this is what it's like to be able to rake your yard. Right, yeah. And, and dig out yeah. all your flower beds and stuff because nothing was buried. I can't even right. get to our flower beds right now. Right, yeah. You know? 2021, it was so nice that we got everything in. Right. On top of each other. Right. So you're having soccer doubleheaders and baseball doubleheaders going at the same time. Right. Yeah. You know, and then but then these last two springs have been really harsh. Yeah, it's been it's last been a spring rough rain. Go. Yeah. And this spring we just can't get winter to go away. It was weird because last spring I felt like um while we got a lot of rain, it didn't really wash out a lot of games. It was just cold and miserable a lot of the time. Um, but this year, with the amount of snow that we have, I mean you're looking at significant you know, even even when this gets melted and the stuff starts to starts to turn from snow back into water, you're going to have a lot of fields that are going to be very very wet, even in the turf fields, where it's going to be tough to you know have the field be, 
you know, super playable. I guess you know, playable or non-playable is sort of if sort of the you know the benchmark we're going for. But yeah, it's interesting to see what kind of condition the fields are in. And if you're a school that has you know natural grass, you're pretty much sunk. Yeah, you're. Yeah, you're it's not, yeah. It, it's not going to happen. It just no. There's not enough time. You're not going to get the frost. Yeah, out. exactly. You're not going to be able to. You know, you might not even get them until you know June, July, if 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 worse goes to really worse. Right. Um. So. You know that said, if you have a turf field and you have the means to clear it, yeah, that's the you big could thing. make some serious money renting that facility out. You could, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know at UMD they're working on trying to clear Milwaukee for softball. Did you see the the time last video of that? <laughs> well, it's a long term process. It doesn't. It took three days. Yeah, it they takes they, a long they posted time. it on on Monday. We saw it, and it was uh, they posted the time lapse video of them clearing Milwaukee Stadium, and it took three days, and it was awesome. <laughs> it's hilarious. It was. Awesome. Well, because it takes that's the other thing people don't realize. It takes a long time to remove all of the to, to, to clear a playing surface. Whether you play on turf or not. Yeah. When you have this much snow, it takes a while because it's it's a process you have to go through, you know, even even on a smaller surface like a softball field, it takes a long time. Yes. It's gonna take multiple days because you can't get it all done just like that. It's right. not as simple as just move the snow away. I mean you, you have to plow it out, especially when you're using multiple snow blowers and there's and there's ways, you know, you're trying to halt the snow away. Mm-hmm. It's a it's an all in process with, with turf though. I mean, the advantage you have is obviously you don't, you don't have to wait for it to get prepared like right. grass. Yeah, yeah. But if you can expose parts of it, it heats up so quickly it will speed up the melt. Right. Yeah. And so you you have that advantage. That said, with the winter that we've had, we may have eighteen inches of snow on a surface right now. Underneath that is probably six inches of ice. Right. Because yeah. of the rain that we got in December and right. January. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's a long process. Yes. And, you know, hopefully those guys' efforts over there will, will not be, you know, all for naught here if, if we can avoid a big snowfall in these nice couple of storms. But I mean we're still getting flurries even two at, days ago. It yeah, snowed. two days ago we got a we got a couple of of such Because my son told me it was okay for me to not shovel. Yeah. So thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Yeah, exactly. I'm you don't over have to shovel. I wasn't going to. Uh, but that's where we're at. You know, that's the reality of where we're at. It's 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 a struggle every spring. This one's been especially harsh, mm-hmm. um, and we haven't even gotten that far. You know, uh, both baseball and softball played 14 games, but nowhere near home. No, you know, for either one of them. So it's it, it it's going to be tough. We'll we'll see where we're at. Um, yeah, I mean, just this is one of those, you know, buckle up and 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 hope for the best kind of scenarios right now. So let's uh, let's move on. The the weather report is done. Uh, yeah, you know I should find a sponsor for the weather report. Or maybe I know we try to, try we to should figure have, out a way to. We should hire our own meteorologist. Or maybe get a meteorologist in. in here or something just to talk about some of this. That could actually be an interesting conversation. That could be. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, at any rate, there there have been games played. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, we'll that's why we the, that's why we're here. We'll lead off with the baseball team because they were surprise surprise the busiest team of last week. Because um, we had a couple teams that had events either postponed or just weren't scheduled to play. And we'll talk about that in a second here. But baseball now sitting on six and eight overall, two and zero in the UMAC. They played four games last week. They went two and two, with two losses against McAllister and two wins against Northland. Those two games against Northland, of course, the conference openers. Those four games are played on Sunday and Monday at the Woodside Sports Complex in Mauston, Wisconsin. They also had two games against St. Mary's that were scheduled for last Thursday, in Winona postponed. So that's kind of the the synopsis of what happened last week. Those games, by the way, were not supposed to be played in Boston originally. They were supposed to actually be played, I think. Um, well, the one game that was uh, our home game was supposed to be played this past Tuesday here. Right, on the 28th, yeah. And the game that was Northland's home game was scheduled to be played April 12th in Ashland. And they have a and natural. They field. have a natural field, which yeah. isn't going to be ready all season long. Right. They yeah. will not yeah. play in Ashland this year, which is pretty much par for the course. Right. I, yeah. I, Ryan Castaneda has been here five or six years. He's never played a game in Ashland. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, they're basically Northland's a traveling baseball team at Correct. this point, but just about everybody else is too. So. Yep. Uh, that throws them in the same boat as the as the Yellow Jackets. Mm-hmm. Uh, against McAllister, the Yellow Jackets fell by scores of five to four and nine to four. Both of those were seven inning games, trying to get as many games in as possible. In game one against the Scots, the Yellow Jackets fell behind 5-1 to one after five innings before scoring three times in the sixth but couldn't complete the comeback. Matt Tappy took the loss on the mound for the Yellow Jackets, pitching six innings while allowing five earned runs on nine hits with one walk and six strikeouts. Offensively, UWS finished with just four hits in the game. 
Game two, the Yellow Jackets fell behind 9-0 after two. Riley Harbaugh took the loss. Pitched the first one and one-third innings while allowing all nine runs, only two of which were earned, though, thanks to a handful of errors by the Yellow Jackets early in that game. So a tough routing for, for Riley Harbaugh, kind of a lot of tough luck there. Ended up losing after only giving up two earned runs and one and a third, but that's the way the game goes sometimes. He also gave up six hits and walked two. Offensively, Yellow Jackets finished with eight hits and were paced by Peyton Steiner, who had a good week. They went two for four with two triples, two runs scored, and two RBIs for the Yellow Jackets. And then against Northland, Jackets posted wins of 3-0 and 16-7. In game one against the Lumberjacks, UWS got a complete game showing from Ryan Rodriguez, who allowed just two hits while walking one and striking out nine. Offensively, the Yellow Jackets scored single runs in the second, fifth, and sixth innings to get the win. Christian Garcia, who's having a really good year, by the way, went two for four with a homer and two runs scored while Noah D'Agostino and Peyton Steiner each added two hits in the game as well. In game two, the Yellow Jackets actually trailed 7-2 after four, but then went on to score five times in the fifth, two times in the sixth, five times in the seventh, and two more in the eighth to pick up the sweep. Declan Higgins picked up the win in relief, pitching the final five innings without allowing a run on four hits with one walk and three strikeouts. Starter Ben Willie pitched the first three and a third before being relieved by Ethan Cody and Owen Santiago, who combined to pitch two-thirds before Higgins came out and closed out the game, so that gave you an idea of where the Yellow Jackets were on the mound in that game. Offensively, the Yellow Jackets punted out 18 hits, led again by Garcia, who went four for five with an RBI and three runs scored. Peyton Steiner went three for five with two triples, a double, two runs scored, and five RBI. Sam McNoskey went three for five with three runs scored, while Nick Fredrickson and D'Agostino and Fougere, Isaac Fougere, each had two hits in the game as well for the Yellow Jackets. So you were there to watch those games. Uh, your impressions? Um, Ryan Rodriguez is at a different level. Yeah, and I'm, which is no surprise. I'm looking forward to act- asking Coach Oaks about that because, boy, he, he he really threw the ball well in that first game. I mean, he was a two-hitter. Yeah. You know. Um, secondly, in that first game, the ball Christian Garcia hit hasn't landed yet. <laughs> Just a moonshot. He it, it cleared the scoreboard in right field and it was still going up. It was an absolute rocket. Well, and he's a big, strong kid. He is. You and know, he and hit that ball a ton. <laughs> um, the third thing was the, the Woodside Complex is about 25 minutes from Peyton Steiner's hometown. Oh, okay. And there were a bunch of – the Peyton Steiner fan club was there. <laughs> And they, well, he had a heck of a series. Well, and he yeah. came. He came out of they had this. The complex is fantastic. It's a great complex, and so we're sitting right behind home plate, and there's a concession building kind of behind us, right, right. And there's diamonds that go all all around that, and they were in that that building, probably getting warm because the wind had a little bit of bite to it, and he came to the plate, and they started making a whole bunch of noise standing on the balcony overlooking all that. And then he drove the first pitch into the right center field gap for a basis clearing triple. <laughs> and that was kind of the really cool moment of, of that whole he thing. He had a bunch of triples. He had four triples. Yeah. He had four triples last weekend. That's a lot of them. It is. That's it's a, a lot. That's a lot of bases. But it was uh, it was fun to finally see them in person. They're very sound fundamentally. They don't make a lot of errors. They pitch well. And, you know, I, I feel like this season. Feels like last year. I feel like this yeah. season for them is, is going to ride on – is the offense going to be able to do enough? Yeah, yeah because I think be the pitching is going to be there, and they pick up the ball real well. Okay, yeah, which is uh, that's two games of ob- observation from a complete amateur, but okay. that's what right. I saw in the in the five hours that I got to watch them play ball. Cool, cool. Softball didn't play last week. They haven't played since uh, March 16th, by I the way. Have not played since Florida. Yeah, uh, and uh, the only reason why I bring them up is because they are 10 and four on the season. Uh, and they played on March 16th in Naples, Florida. They swept Rutgers, Newark, and St. Elizabeth by scores of 7-6, to 6-1. to Hopefully they'll be able to play at some point. But the reason why I bring them up again is because they have played since we were last Yeah, on. they're supposed yeah. to uh, They're supposed to play this weekend against River Falls, but that's not – Probably going to happen. They're having a hard time finding a place to play. Yeah, which is, again, kind of par for the course right now, <laughs> to use a golf term. Anyway, we'll move on with men's tennis, who continues to roll right along. Thankfully for them, they have an indoor facility, so they don't have to worry about these – these uh, postponements <laughs> as much. Yet. Yet, yes. Men's tennis now 16-2 and overall. They're 4-0 in the UMAC. They won three matches last week, posting identical 9-0 wins over Crown and Minnesota Morris on Saturday and then on Mar- against Martin Luther on Sunday. All three matches are played at Lydia Thuring Fieldhouse here in Superior. Against the Polars in the first match of the weekend, UWS got doubles wins from the duos of Mateus Miranda Silvestri and Benedict Kaibas at number one. 
Frederick Deal and Mateo Abarca Pino at number two, and Miles Dempsey and Lorenzo Silver at number three doubles, along with getting singles wins from Kazuki Sato, Miranda Silvestri, Abarca Pino, Jace Gilbertson, Deal, and also Silva. Then against the Cougars on the same day, UWS got doubles wins from the duos of Igor Get and Chavez and Ren Karachi at number one, Vitor Sakakibara and Jacob Zacharias at number two, and Miranda Silvestri and Kaibas at number three, along with singles wins from Getten, Chavez, Karachi, Sakakibara, Zacharias, Kaibas, and Gilbertson. Then to close out the weekend, against the Knights, UWS got doubles wins from the duos of Miranda Silvestri and Kaibas, Abarca, Pino, and Deal, and Dempsey and Sato before getting singles wins from Sakakibara, Zacharias, Miranda Silvestri, Kaibas, Gilbertson and Silva. Miranda Silvestri also was named EMAC Men's Tennis Player of the Week for those performances. Women's tennis, meanwhile, 6-10 overall, 3-1 in the UMAC. Now they're playing their best ball at the right time, it looks mm -hmm. like. Won three matches last week, defeating Crown 9-0 in Minnesota Morris, 5-4 on Saturday before downing Martin Luther, 9-0 on Sunday. Again, all three matches were played at Lydia Thiering Fieldhouse against the Polars. UWS got doubles wins from the duos of Andrina Tejada and Courtney Brandt at number one doubles, Jessica Kukowski and Shelby Hansen at number two doubles, and Brooke Wilfong and Dalen Drew at number three doubles, along with getting singles wins from Tejada, Brandt, Marina Dostal, Wilfong, Haley Quick, and Kukowski. Against the Cougars, UWS got doubles wins from the duos of Tejada and Brandt at number one, and Kukowski and Hansen number two before also getting singles wins from Tejada, Quick, and Kukowski. And then to close it out against the Knights on the weekend, UWS got doubles wins from Tejada and Brandt. Hanson and Kukowski and Drew and Wilfong along with singles wins from Tejada, Brandt, Dostal, Wilfong, Quick, and Kukowski. Tejada was also named UMAC Women's Tennis Player of the Week as well. So good week of uh, tennis for the Yellow Jackets. They played well. I was here for all three of those matches. They played well. Okay. They yeah. played really well. And good for them, too, because yeah, I think he's got something cooking on the men's side. Yeah, the men's team is very, very they good. Are, they are good, and they're, they're fun to watch. Yeah. They are fun to watch. They play high, a high brand, a high energy level. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, right now they're kind of running through everybody. 16-2. and two, You can't really complain about their record. Nope. And the women seem to be finding themselves as well over mm -hmm. here. So that's good. And uh, that was it for the week, though, because uh, men's and women's uh, indoor or outdoor, excuse me, track and field have not started their season yet. And uh, so, uh, softball didn't play. So kind of a short week in that regard. There wasn't a lot of different teams in action. Pretty successful for the most part for the L Jackets. Mm -hmm. But... Yeah, this is that weird time of year again where everything's up in the air. Yeah. You know, and you never know what's going to happen. It's You're running around 100 miles an hour with your head on fire when the, the end of the winter season is coming and you got all those teams playing and all your spring teams playing, and then it comes to a screeching halt. Right, exactly. And then it, you're, then you have to turn it over to Mother Nature. Correct. You know, Correct. So it is what it is. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting time of year, that is for sure. Speaking of uh, those spring sports teams, we're going to take a timeout. We'll come back with the roundtable segment of this week's Eye of the Swarm. We'll have a chance to catch up with Yellow Jacket head baseball coach T.J. Oaks, along with senior, junior, veteran, veteran catcher Isaac Fugere. Uh, <laughs> you never know with the COVID know, waivers right? and everything here. How many? I think technically he's a junior. I think he is too, but I, I think he's also he's been in the program senior, for four years. So. so. Yeah. You know, we'll call him a senior slash junior catcher, Isaac okay. Fugere. Coach Oaks and Isaac Fugere will be coming up right after this timeout. You are listening to Eye of the Swarm. Can I borrow the sports page? Are we sure we're ready for this expansion? Of course we're ready for it. It's a great idea. Let's celebrate with a vacation. I'm thinking <laughs> Hawaii. We're ready for you. Is it okay if my friend comes with? Of course. Imagination's always welcome here. Bring us your best ideas. Let's see how we can help. National Bank of Commerce. Imagination's welcome. <laughs> We're back for the roundtable segment of this week's Eye of the Swarm, and it's time for us to talk a little baseball. Appropriate, being that it is officially opening day for Major League Baseball, and we're joined by T.J. Oaks, head baseball coach here at UW-Superior, and Isaac Fugere. And first off, how special is opening day? A friend of mine said every sport has a first game, 
only baseball has an opening day, and I thought that was kind of appropriate. So the having spent the life in baseball, is is it is it that should be national holiday kind of thing in your mind? Oh yeah, I think so. It's yeah? uh, it's a really special day. Obviously, with the spring sport, you practice all year long to get to opening day. So it's just a long time coming of all the hard work, preparation, focus to get to opening day. So it is a very special moment. Usually teams come out rip-roaring to go on opening day because they have a lot of built-up and pent-up energy that they want to get out on the field. Even though you've had you know, pitchers and catchers reported eight weeks ago and you've had however many dozen spring training games and everything, you still have all that pent-up even oh, yeah. though you've it's, had that, those opportunities to play? It's just different vibes. Yeah. Um, it's just a different type of energy. It's hard to explain, but especially when you get in front of thousands and thousands of people, it's um, it's just different from that standpoint. I suppose now it counts too, right? Yeah. yeah. Because I mean, all those spring training it's, games it's for are real. Me, nobody remembers what your spring training record was. Nobody really cares either. I feel like anytime a team does really well in spring training, they, they go into tank once the regular yeah. season starts. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. And you got guys mostly, especially at the major league level, they're playing for their jobs. True. A lot of those guys are just trying to make the roster. The veterans already know they're going to make it anyway. So it's, you know, it's the guys, you know, you're seeing a lot of the young guys that are trying not to end up in double A AA or triple A or, or, you know, wherever they ultimately end up in the, in the system. But um, it's, it's spring training is, is sort of like the preseason for football. It's, it's really just trying to figure out who's going to be making the final cut. Because if you've got guys that are right. under huge contracts and, have, you know, and are been on the squad for a while and have been around for a while, they're going to make the squad. They know it. They use it more as a time just to kind of get fit and you know get themselves ready for actual game time. But for the younger guys, it's a big deal. I mean, that's and that's sort of the way it is. I think with all sports in the preseason, is trying to figure out who's going to actually make the roster. You know, who's going who's going to make the final right. you know cut, regardless of what sport you're in. And baseball especially because there is a system to it in terms of like a minor league system and a setup for it. So you played minor league ball. Did it have the same vibe? In the minors too, uh, a little bit, a little bit different. Obviously, you don't get as big a crowds, um, so but still, the adrenaline's different. Yeah, between spring training games versus real actual games, so just I think that's the biggest thing. Probably just your adrenaline kicks in. Um, like I think Matt hit on the games actually count, your stats count, everything counts, everything matters. So it's just different vibe to it from that standpoint. Are you jealous because? They don't have to worry about clearing snow from their fields, being able to play. <laughs> now we're getting right right on the nitty gritty here already. Yeah. To be honest, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, we we talked about the weather, you know, a little bit in the opening segment and everything. It's it's kind of a staple for our our conversations here. But it's this is one of those springs. You know, we we were joking a little bit beforehand how the COVID spring of 2020 was beautiful and every game would have got in and right. 2021 was great and every game did get in and the last two springs have been absolutely miserable last spring with all the rain and now you just can't get winter to leave so I mean what's the we've had so much snow I mean it's incredible yeah so on the frustration meter where are you yeah getting pretty high but uh, trying to hold it together and the best that we can it's just hard John with with how hard we as a group work all year and you want to get rewarded by getting to play games. Yeah. Like, that's kind of your golden nugget. That's your reward. Like, all the hard work, the payoff of getting a chance to get on the field and show all the hard work and preparation that you've showed. Um, it, it, it makes it difficult when you get games postponed and potentially not play for a couple weeks. It just gets really hard, especially when you have to go back inside to practice. And then you're, you know, asked to compete on an outdoor surface, which you're not used to competing at. So... Um, it is frustrating. It's getting to that point where it's like, man, I just feel bad for the guys. Mm-hmm. Like I said, they work so hard all year for the games. Um, so I just want them to have a structured schedule and a consistent schedule. So that's probably gets me most frustrated because I feel bad for the guys. And there's nothing that we can do to control it, but um, I want them to see the rewards of all their hard work. What's it been like in the clubhouse? Because I know you've, you, you've got a kind of an interesting timed career with COVID and not playing, then a COVID year, and then last spring where it, all it did was rain and it didn't seem like you were ever going to get games in, and now you're into this year here. So what's the what's the clubhouse temperature like right now with the guys? Yeah, it's definitely um, a little different. I mean, everybody wants to get out on the field and play. I mean, coming from a few years where we have kind of had it a little bit you know, different with COVID and just the weather. Um, everybody wants to get out and play, but I think it kind of shows a little bit of a mental toughness that we have just knowing that we will get games in, but we got to, 
you know, stick it out and wait and um, keep doing what it takes to, to get there. So you're going to have that brand of mental toughness with knowing we're going to get games in and then a whole new kind of mental toughness when all of a sudden you're going to end up with 10 games in six days, you know, that kind of thing. That's, that's kind of wearing on the mind and body too. Exactly, exactly, yeah. And as a catcher, former catcher myself, former catcher you, how do you handle that? Because that's an awful lot physically and mentally that you have to put up with. And it seems like you're kind of the – he's the go-to guy behind the plate. So pretty much once once these games get going, you know you're going to be putting the, the tools of ignorance as they're called on. So how do you handle all that? I love it. I love <laughs> it. <laughs> Honestly, it's um, it's just a lot of preparation. Everything going into it, making sure my body's ready to go and just more so my mind is ready to go. Um, just that I can get through these games. I can take the stress on my body and it's it's nothing too too bad. So. I, I love it, though. I love being able to be back there every game and just knowing I'm doing what I can to help. I think a lot of it just has to do with being a great teammate, you know, sacrificing your own wants and needs, sacrificing maybe how your body feels um, for the benefit of the team, knowing that, man, I have to be back there to help us be successful. So um, I talked to a lot of our guys about just being a great teammate, and um, I give a credit to all the other catchers on our squad where – um, they catch a lot of the bullpens and all the kind of the dirty work. So guys like Isaac can, can be fresh during games. So, um, yeah, Isaac's the one behind the plate during the games. But honestly, I give a lot of credit to our our second, third, fourth string catchers for them doing all the dirty work behind the scenes that allows Isaac to be able to catch the games. Let's talk a little bit about that. You know, you're uh, 14 games in now, 6-8 and eight on the season, had a a real good start to the spring trip and everything down in, in Florida. So let's talk a little bit about how the season has unfolded so far. And, you know, one of the, the better starts to a season that we've had here in the, in the last 10 years or so. So let's, uh, let's unpack that a little bit and give me some of the thoughts on these, these first few games that you played. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, record-wise, we wish it would be a little bit better. But I think that's obviously every team in the country wish their record was better. You know, if you're not undefeated, you always wish you were better. So <laughs> right, yeah. um, that's one of the things. Well, the part that I've been most pleased about is we've been competitive in every single game that we played. We've literally had a chance to win every single game. Um, I told you guys the other day we could easily be undefeated or we could be have no wins. So every game has been close. Every game has mattered. Um, that is going to help us in the long run. Playing close games early in the year will help you significantly as you get going because you're going to play in tight, close close-knit games throughout conference play. So having that ability to do that early in non-conference play is extremely beneficial. So I feel like we played played well. Pitching, I think, has been there pretty much the whole season. Offenses sputtered a little bit early, but um, we picked it up here come conference play, and hopefully we get, get going and put all three phases together. If we continue to pitch the way we are, we continue to play defense the way we are, and then get our offense going, um, things are looking pretty good. I mean, the first time I saw you this year was Monday in person, getting a chance to see you. And the first game of the doubleheader was an hour and 36 minutes. And I can't tell you the last time I saw a nine-inning game played in an hour and 36 minutes. Three innings were down. It was 32 minutes into the game. It, it was moving so quickly, but it comes to you. The pitching has been there. Nobody's making errors. You're picking up the ball, and you found just enough offense to, to be able to get the job done and win that game so I mean that that one game kind of a microcosm of what you've been seeing all season long for sure um power of throwing strikes John yeah <laughs> it's, it's a powerful thing in baseball you get guys on the mound that can pound the zone from all pitches for strikes keep the hitters off balance it's a wonderful thing and then with the defense that we have tell our guys all the time just trust your defense throw it over the plate let them hit it and um, trust that the guys behind you are going to make the plays and that's what we've been able to do so far this year you know, I'm always interested in this mostly just because um, being a former catcher myself, um, you know, the offense is one thing that, you know, the pitching is another thing, but the fielding aspect of it, especially when you're inside all the time, you barely are getting out on the field, if at all, when you're up here working out and then you're going down to a neutral site, essentially, to play games, you're playing in Florida on grass fields, you're playing on maybe a turf field here and there, uh, you know, before you get back home, hopefully at some point here, I mean, it feels like the fielding aspect of it that's a little bit more of an area that could be a little bit more ripe for uh, some haphazard events just because guys haven't seen the bounces yet. They've been playing off of an indoor surface that is artificial, but it's not turf. 
You know, it's a, I don't know what you would call that surface inside the field house, but it's, it's, it's kind of a tennis court. Yeah. It's basically <laughs> a tennis court and going on the field. And it, it, I guess it's impressive to me to, to, to hear that you're happy with where your defense is at considering the fact that you guys really, other than being in Florida and these neutral site games you had last week, that you really haven't had a lot of time on an actual field to actually work on fielding stuff. It's been mostly just indoor, you know, batting cage stuff, situational stuff inside, you know, pitchers and catchers throwing a bit, but, um, you know, it's interesting. What do you think the key is to that in order to keeping up that defense? What have you kind of preached to the guys going into that? Yeah, I think we were exposed a little bit when we played on natural for the first time. We were exposed because it is different, like you said. It's extremely different. So we were exposed a little bit. Most of the errors we have on the year have come on natural fields, which is understandable. Obviously, you want to limit those, but um, it is understandable. But just going back to the basics and the fundamentals of the game, Tell our guys all the time when we're in the field house, you're treating every rep like it's a game, no matter what surface you're at. So it goes down to the guys just preparing well and doing the daily fundamental work every single day that um, helps them when they get in game situations, no matter what surface we're at. Because no matter what surface you're on, the, the fundamentals of the game don't change. Right. Yeah. So just t them taking that seriously, um, is they, they get all the credit for for that part of it. But we were exposed a little bit from a natural field standpoint, but I'm happy with where we're at. Like you said, when you don't get a chance to go outside and see hops off of dirt and grass and all that kind of stuff, it makes it very difficult. It's not an excuse. I tell our guys all the time, it's it's reality of the situation. So um, all the all the credit to the guys for doing their daily work inside every single day. Isaac, same question to you as a catcher. How does it change as far as like blocking pitches and so forth for you? Uh, I mean, it is different. Uh, turf tends to skip a little bit more, but gives you different hops than natural does. But it definitely comes down to just doing, getting your body in the right position on every play. I mean, we do it in practice every day. We we try and get the fundamentals down every single day, um, just making sure that we're getting our work in. Um, so I guess it doesn't really change from a what we're doing standpoint. I mean, field just does what it does, and we just got to do what we can to to be there. I would I would imagine it's it's incredibly difficult or getting to this point in the year and still not being able to on a daily basis go essentially live with things because you can do again situational yeah. stuff all day long in there that's fine but you you can't simulate a fly ball in a field house you yeah. can't simulate a ground ball in a field house can't get all nine guys out there at the same no, time no it's, yeah. it's really difficult to get nine guys at the same time in, in any kind of, of situation in a field house so I, I i can't imagine having to go through the bulk of your in season so limited yeah it is challenging that's honestly probably the most challenging part of coaching baseball in the midwest is practicing inside for so long getting a chance to go outside play a good chunk of games a fourth year schedule down in florida and then coming back and having to go back inside yeah um, that is honestly probably the most challenging part of coaching anywhere in the midwest so um yeah it, it's tough not to be able to go live situations not to be able to do cuts and relays one thing we're struggling with a little bit is cuts and relays, and we just we don't have room to simulate that inside. Yeah. You can you can walk through stuff, but again, you're at much shorter distances. It's not realistic at all. Um, things like bunt defense and all that kind of stuff just aren't realistic when you're not on a baseball field surface and you have the lines to go off and all that kind of thing. Um, we're working on bunting right now, and it's just hard to do inside because you don't, the ball is just rolling differently. Yeah. So all that stuff makes it very very challenging. But I tell our guys all the time, it's not like got to find a way to get the job done because um, we could be playing tomorrow we could be playing like you said 10 games in a row like we have to be ready for those opportunities no matter what we're dealt with but I, I guess the the other piece too is you're not the only team in this boat I mean the bulk I don't know anybody who has an indoor turf field house that allows their baseball team to be able to practice inside you know the, the yeah. way that they'd want to so it's everybody in this area and essentially all of Minnesota, Wisconsin, yeah, this is what every team into Iowa that's going through the same thing. Well, and it's it's the same at D two as well. Every yeah. D two team's got the same boat. Um, it, it it's just a reality mm -hmm. of like you said, Midwest baseball. It's it's part of a lot of these guys are somewhat used to it, especially the guys that have been around for a little bit. You know, like guys like Isaac, who's now a veteran, have been through it a little bit more. The younger guys, it's you know, they played high school. A lot of them up here, and some of them you know JUCO or whatever. Or they transferred in from another school, you know, and they've been through it too. So it's not that big of a thing. But, you know, when you compare it to having to play like the Southern teams, though, if you're playing down in Florida or something like that, they have such an advantage because they've, they've seen rep after rep after rep already. And, you know, for our guys, it's basically all kind of fresh. So to go off that, I th I'll be honest, 
there's some positives to it. I think it makes you hungry mm-hmm. when you do get a chance to get outside. Where teams that are outside all year long, I think sometimes you can take it for granted. Sure. Okay, we have another normal practice outside where our guys like, okay, we have nine straight practice inside. Now we like, can't wait to play. Right. Um, yeah. And you get a chance to play and, like I said, the, all that pent-up energy. and um, So I do think it can be somewhat of a positive at times and keep guys really hungry and motivated for when they get the chance to get out of the field house. Let's talk a little bit about conference play because you entered conference play on Monday with that doubleheader against Northland. And obviously the bulk of the games going forward are going to be in UMAC play. And, you know, from the, the complete baseball outsider like I am, it's wide open, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's probably it, it, since we joined the conference in 2015, I'm not sure it has been this wide open. It is anybody's conference right now, isn't it? For sure. This is the deepest the conference has ever been. <clears throat> Obviously, this is just my second year part of the conference, but from everything I've heard, everything I've seen, everything I've researched, this is by far the deepest the conference has ever been, which makes it very, very exciting because mm-hmm. every game is going to matter and it's going to come down to that last weekend, just like it does pretty much every year. Um, but now we're going to even have more teams fighting to get in that top four. Sure. So, you know, getting in the top four you know, out of eight teams in the conference to make that conference tournament, it's going to be a grind. It's going to be a test. It's going to be a challenge. But that's what you want. You don't want to, you know, automatically be locked in before the season even starts. Oh, we're going to make the playoffs. Like, right. what's your motivation? What's your desire? Yeah. What's your hunger? So um, every game's going to matter. And, you know, we saw Northland was much improved, you know, play us in two competitive games. So. Anything can happen at any point. I think that was the best pitching I've seen out of a Northland team ever. For sure. Ever. In, For sure. in all the years we played them, it was bar none the best pitching that we'd seen. Yeah, it just shows every team's getting deeper and every team's getting better. It, what did the experience from last year's tournament run bring? You know, because I – yeah, making the tournament, okay. You know, we've done that before and everything. But getting all the way to that title game and making that run, what did that bring? Yeah, I'll let Isaac answer this one first and I'll follow him up. Uh, I think it just kind of gave us an idea of where we're at. Um, knowing that we have the capability of being in games like that, knowing that we're capable of um, playing teams that we didn't really feel we were capable of before that. Um, just knowing that in any game we're in it, no matter what, we, we can win any game, like TJ said, or we can lose any game, but we're, we're going to give it our all while we're there. Mm-hmm. So it kind of just brought the... I don't know, whole experience level up, knowing that we can be there and we can do that. It comes down to belief. Um, Getting our guys to believe that they can win every game. Um, It comes down to loving each other, caring for each other. I think that's what I saw. That's what my biggest takeaway from the conference tournament last year. After our season ended, just the fact of how much our guys cared about each other and loved each other at the end of the year. That's when I knew we were doing something right. And that's when I think you maybe outperform what you're capable of performing. When you get a group to truly buy into what you're doing on and off the field, to live by the pillars and values of the program and to truly believe and literally love each other all year long, then you start outperforming maybe what other people think you can actually do. Um, that's what was my biggest takeaway from last year of we just continued to grow and grow. We didn't get off to a great start at all. Right. But we played our best baseball down the stretch, and honestly, that's what best teams do. You just look at March Madness. You look at playoffs. Like Sometimes the teams that aren't supposed to win end up winning because they're playing the best brand of baseball as the season gets going, and they're the most together at that time. Or maybe the higher seeds are – Uh, maybe scuffling a little bit and have some locker room issues. So to me, like I tell our guys all the time, it doesn't matter where you finish regular season. It doesn't matter. It's just about the tightness of the group, staying together and and playing the best down the stretch. So, yeah, we didn't get off to the greatest start this year as well, but that doesn't matter. I told our guys, it's conference play. It's a whole new season. Nothing you did before that matters. Stats don't matter. Wins and losses don't matter. Um, Everything that matters started on Monday. And we just want to be playing our best brand of baseball as the season goes on. It's easier to buy into all that too, isn't it? When you're playing at the your best ball at the right time, inching closer to that that championship game in the tournament, it's easier to buy into all that, isn't it? Oh, for sure. I mean, this is definitely the closest group I've ever been a part of. Um, 
everybody just cares for one another on a personal level as well as a baseball level. Um, we're all wanting each other to get be the best we can be, but we all deeply care about each other. Um, we're, we're basically a family. We are a family, um, which I haven't been able to say about most teams in the past. Mm -hmm. So it's just nice to have that, and that lets you know that you're ready for another brand of baseball. Family on three, right? Yeah, every time. Yeah. With your pitching background, I, I want you to talk about Ryan, the, the grizzled, the Jesse Orozco of UMAC, <laughs> as I have started to call him, yeah. the, uh, the grizzled veteran. He, he went to a different level last year, and I don't think there's any coincidence at all that it had to do with the fact that his head coach is a former pitcher. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about his development from when you got him to where he finished last year and the pitcher that he became over the course of the year because he was a different pitcher. Yeah, his his base was very good. Um, he just needed to take the next step from a mentality standpoint, from a demeanor standpoint, from a consistency standpoint of everyday work. Um, and he really dedicated himself and, and accomplished what we wanted to accomplish last year. Really didn't work with anything physically for Ryan. It was more of all mentally and preparation. And that in turn helps you physically. Um, I think he really bought into all the arm care stuff that we do. So he was healthier last year. Um, he was stronger. He was able to pitch at his best as the season goes on. When usually at the college level, you see pitchers maybe dwindle down as the season goes on because they're getting worn out. But by keeping up with all the post work and arm care that we do, we saw him get stronger and stronger as the season goes on. And that's what you mean by doing the daily work, the arm care and, and Correct. that kind of stuff. Correct. It's, it's preparing. Um, I tell our guys all the time, everyone has the will to win. Like, if you don't have the will to win, like, why are you playing sports? Yeah. Um, the separator is the will to prepare to win. So I can go out there and I want to win. So does my opponent. But who is prepared better to win? Um, who has done the every single day, maybe quote-unquote boring stuff at a high level in order to help them set them up to succeed? So that's what I saw Ryan do last year, and he's carried it over into this year, obviously. Um, the mentorship, the leadership aspect has been crucial. I tell you guys all the time, like when you start stop focusing on your on yourself and start focusing on others, that ultimately helps you. And that's what I have seen him do from a leadership standpoint, especially from the pitching staff. He has put all his focus on getting other guys developed, and that has in turn helped him. It takes your focus off of you and yourself and your results, and helps you really get dialed into the team aspect. And man, when that guy's on the mound, I know I've helped him. So part of me's out there as well. So. To be honest with you, long answer short is all of that kind of goes into I think Ryan's um, upping his game. He's always been good as you as you mm -hmm. hit on, but I think he's becoming a great pitcher at the college level because of all those little minor detail things that a lot of people often neglect, and they just show up on game day. Well, you can't just show up on game day. Um, you have to show up every single day. And the minor, minute, little detailed things and take those game-like to be able to get to the level that he's at. You've been catching him for four years. So what what have you seen different? He's definitely just got a different mentality on the mound. Um, he, he knows that he's good. He knows that he's good. And you can see that on the mound, whereas I don't know if you necessarily could as much before. Um, he just – he goes out there and he wants to dominate. And he does mm -hmm. because he's he he wants to and he knows he's going to and he knows he's got the help around him too. Um, I think he just has that confidence in his team, in our team, and uh, in himself as well, which really just you know makes him that good. And I, he probably has quite a bit of confidence in you. One, your ability to call a game for him. Two, having that guy back there where yeah, I can throw that one in the dirt and see if he'll go after it because I know I've got this guy back there who's going to make the play. You guys have a pretty good rapport as a battery, don't you? Yeah, we definitely do. I mean, I think it's a lot of just talking and understanding the game and understanding each other and what we want to do against certain hitters, against uh, certain teams, and just how we want to attack. Um, I think a big thing is just me working as hard as I possibly can for him, and that gives him confidence in me, whereas I know he's going to do his best on the mound, which gives me all the confidence in the world in him. So um, definitely just giving myself to him and allowing him to do the same and um, it really helps out on the field we put a lot of trust in these guys too to kind of go off of that and 
I would say probably 80, 90% of college teams, coaches are calling pitches nowadays. Um, we as a coaching staff have a lot of trust in our, our catchers and pitchers that we let them call their own game. Um, we work and we prepare and we train them to how we want the game called, and then we let them take over. Um, so I think that's a big thing too is they just – there's a lot of communication between the players and they don't just rely on us as coaches. Hey, this is the pitch that you're going to throw. Um, there's communicating. I think that has helped to be honest with you where the catchers and pitchers are communicating and they're on the same page and that helps with confidence. That helps with trust. That helps with everything. So we're kind of rare in today's age where you see 90% of college teams, kind of the coaches are taking over calling pitches where we as a coaching staff just have total belief and trust in our players to figure that part out. You know, the thing with Ryan, um, obviously, John and I have seen him also pitch now for his entire career. Um, you know, and the growth in him has been really interesting to watch, um, you know, because he always had the natural ability, I think. Um, you know, he just needed to put it all together. And he's sort of, I was, you know, while we're, you know, we've been going through this conversation, one of the things that keeps occurring to me is something that you and I have talked about, TJ, several times in your office when we've chatted, is the fact that, you know, we want pitchers that are going to pound the zone guys that are going to be around the plate, not necessarily over the meat of the plate, but we want them to be close to it and let the defense make plays. And Ryan really ex you know, exemplifies that. I mean, if you look at him, he's always around the zone. Um, you know, and he, he has you know, a, a really good mix of pitches to him, but he's like the perfect example for the younger guys too because of that, because he goes out there and he's going he's gonna, to you know, target the ball right where he wants it to go, and he's going to pound that zone. He's not going to be afraid of whoever's in the batter's box. You know, he just he's he's one of those guys that if he gets hit, he'll tip his cap to the guy and just say, "Okay, on to the next guy." Yelling, that's something that the younger guys I know, and you brought back a lot of guys, must be comforting to have it because it's almost like with how many years he's now got under his belt and one more going here, it's almost like having an extra coach, you know, in in amongst the pitchers and for Isaac too, same thing because he's not only is he that reliable guy that's your number one starter and is one of the better pitchers in the Midwest. He's also a guy, though, that can, you know, when he's not out there, like you said, he's kind of a mentor for these guys because a lot of these guys are m much younger than Ryan now at this point in his career. And it's, it's one of those things where, like I said, it kind of sets him up to be kind of a, almost like a player coach in a certain way. Well, for sure. I think he hit the nail on the head, Matt. Like, there's a lot of days where I'm comfortable going to work with another position group because I know Ryan's over there and will take care of the pitching staff. So that's a huge luxury from a head coach who's the pitching coach as well, to be able to go work with other position groups and not have to worry about that things are, are getting done. So it's enormous. Just It's almost like having a veteran big leaguer and all the rookies kind of watching the way he does things um, on and off the field. So it's it's awesome to have him back. Like I was very, very happy, obviously, when he said he was coming back, obviously from a baseball standpoint, but I'll be honest, more so from a mentorship, a leadership, an off-the-field standpoint of, what he's bringing to our group behind the scenes. Everyone sees what he does on the field, but not many people get to see what he does behind the scenes. And I think that in turn leads to his success on the field. But it's not softball, so you can't have the same pitcher rolling yeah. out there every single game, obviously. And what kind of a role has he played in helping to build that depth? Because he, you know he's only going to be able to go Once a couple times days. a week. Yeah. So... Obviously, you, you need to know – you need other arms behind him. And what role has he played with, with helping those guys? Dig yeah. a little deeper into that. Yeah, for sure. I think just showing people what it takes to be good, um, the consistency of what it takes to be good. Like I said, the arm care, the discipline of everyday drill work, the how you play catch. I'll be honest with you. Um, a lot of pitchers coming from high school to college don't even know how to play catch properly. Um, and how, like we call it command. I can tell you, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> like, like we call it. Right, me too. We call it command training. It's not just throwing. It's you're learning how to command the baseball. So every time you throw a ball is an opportunity to work on something. And Brian plays catch at extremely high level. And I think that's a part of the reason why he has such good command because every time he throws a baseball, he's trying to hit an exact location, and that translates to the field. You see, so often of people just throw to throw. Well, you only have so many bullets in your arm. you got to make good use of them. Every throw has a purpose. Every throw has a target. So just teaching guys how to play catch, I think, is, is extremely beneficial. Like I said, just showing them the ropes, how to compete, how to be a bulldog, how to be a warrior on the mound like Matt, Matt, Matt hit on. So um, all those little things, just having the freshman come in and just be able to watch him 
I think has helped instrumentally. Mm-hmm. So you've seen some freshmen come in, especially our freshman lefties here over the last week that have been dialed in. And what it comes down to is they're pounding the zone. They're throwing strikes. They're throwing multiple pitches for strikes. And I think a lot of it has to do with them watching Rhino. Okay, this is how he does it. Um, let's exemplify that. I have a quick question for you before we continue on here. As a catcher, do you notice that difference too in some of the younger guys you might be catching as, as, as to like Ryan's tutor, tutoring and maybe even your tutoring them as to how to like play catch, command that ball, be able to get it, you know, on the edges of the plate, you know, not, not throw ones maybe right down the middle, you know, stuff like that. I mean, how much of a role do you play in that as well? I don't really think I play much of a role in it. I think, uh, yeah, you do. I think, uh, <laughs> I mean, they work hard every day. They're watching Ryan. Ryan's showing them um, a lot of things. He's uh, teaching them a lot of things, but I think a lot of it comes down to them working on it. Um, they definitely put in everything they have into it. So it's just great to see that it's paying off and they're working their hardest and making pitches count. So Isaac's being pretty humble, but he, he plays a big factor. Like I think John, you know, iterated that the guys trust throwing to him. That's a huge thing. If you don't trust your catcher, like it's rough. So yeah. um, the guys trust him. They know how hard he works. Um, he's great at pitch calling. Like that is a huge factor. So Isaac's being humble, but he plays a plays a really big factor in that. The other end of the spectrum is obviously freshmen. And I want you to talk a little bit about your middle infield because you've got two freshmen in there that don't play like freshmen at all. Yeah, 100%. So talk a little they're, bit about those two guys. They're like veteran players already, mm-hmm. you know, coming into a program. It's it's tough. It's tough to play as a freshman anywhere, but especially in the middle infield because right. you're getting the most action. You know, arguably any spot in the whole field is second and short. You're getting the most action, so – um, and you're kind of the captains of the field, to be honest with you. So you're controlling cuts and relays. You're controlling, you know, other than the catcher, the middle infield is kind of the next next thing that's going to control the whole field. So um, I've been very impressed with Noah and Brian. And um, like I said, like you said, they've just been very mature. The way, yes, they've had some growing pains. They've had some, they made some mistakes, but that's to be expected at this level. You know, it's a whole different level than what they're played at. So, um, I have been very pleased with how they've responded to adversity. Um, they haven't folded at all. They haven't thrown in the towel. They just keep showing up day after day and, and getting back into it. Um, so it's been it's been crucial for our program to know that, you know, every spot has to be earned. Just because you've been here for three or four years and maybe put in a lot of hard work and time, like sometimes there's just people that are better than you and just outwork you and, um, give us a better chance to win. So I think it's been crucial for our whole program um, to kind of see freshmen come in right away and, and get a chance at some big positions. One of those middle infielders are very, very key to running the whole defense, really. And, and at the major league level, even they talk about that chemistry between the shortstop and the second baseman, they have to be very, very, like, they have to be in tune with each other. I mean, you've got two freshmen that are playing there. How has that partnership between the two of them come along? Because that's – you know, you're, you're throwing two freshmen in there that might, may or may not have played together, probably not, you know, in, in a really key spot. How has their relationship came, uh, as far as on the field gone so far? Yeah, I think constantly growing and learning. Um, so they didn't start the year second and short for us. Noah was playing short and Brian was playing third. And then pretty much a couple games in the spring trip, we made the change of shifting Brian over to short and Noah over to second. And so it's constantly learning, constantly growing. That's where we didn't envision them being to start the year. But that's where things have kind of worked out. So, like I said, just constant communication, constantly growing and learning with each other. I think that's the biggest thing. Not pointing fingers, not blaming each other when things happen because we have made some mistakes, like I said. But um, it's learning and continuing to grow from those. Again, seeing your team for the first time on Monday, Brian's got a cannon. (laughs) Seriously. Can he pitch? Because, boy, can he throw hard. Yeah. He's got yeah. an absolute cannon from shortstop. Yeah, and that's where even if he fields one deep in the hole to his backhand side, he still has a chance to get him out. Um, so that's what we were just talking about the other day is sometimes third baseman, like, hey, just let him make the play because he can get it over there. So, no, yeah, we've we've explored him on the mound as well. we just got to be very careful, obviously, playing short, making that many throws, making that many intense throws in game situations. you got to be a little bit careful, especially um, as a freshman when he's not used to throwing as much as he has this year. 
So I'm trying to balance that the best that I can, but um, I'm not going to say you're not going to see him on the mound later this year, but um, we'll kind of see how that plays out. Why did you laugh at me when I said that? Because he's got a rocket. <laughs> <laughs> he like, I'm not sure I've seen an infielder here in a long time that could throw like that. Yeah. Should see him on the mound. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's going to be when uh, we'd, get, we'd get that glimpse of Corey Albertson on the mound. Because yeah. he's playing first base, or he's catching, and then all of a sudden they put him on the mound, and he throws harder than any pitcher that we had here. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's kind of could be this, the same sort of thing. Well, some guys just have that natural arm strength. Um, you know, and for a shortstop, that's important just because they do make basically every throw you could think of, um, long ones, short ones. Um, and, you know, they're sort of like, I don't want to say that they're the key to the infield, but the shortstop really does kind of dictate how everything else runs them along with the second baseman. I mean, the, the corner infielders do their thing, but the, you know, the middle infield, they kind of dictate the tempo a little bit, and the shortstop really helps if he's got a very strong arm. <laughs> Because, like you said, he can he's going to have to make plays. I mean, even third baseman, while they have the longer throw technically a lot of times, you know, their, 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 play, their, their range of plays is a little bit more straightforward in terms of everything pretty much being in front of him. So shortstop has to go to his backhand. He has to go, you know, this side. You know, when he's, when he's facing up to a ball, he has to be able to range out behind a little bit, behind the bags and into the, you know, the short uh, outfield. So um, there's a lot of responsibility that goes along with playing that shortstop role. And, if you have a big arm, that's just an extra tool to be able to have. And that's got to sure. be just nice to have because, like you said, we haven't had a lot of short shots with huge arms like that. Sure. No, you'll, you'll be bonus. amazed when you see it. Yeah. Like, I, you, I, I feel like you can hear it. You can hear his Just throw. the first base pop. And it's not just the sound <laughs> effects that the guy sitting next to you make every time he throws the ball. I mean, you, you feel, like his, to it. You feel yeah. like his throw has sound. Yeah. Sizzles across. Yeah, mind. exactly. You kind of hear that. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't mess around when he's delivering it to first. Which no, is, he does not. <laughs> He you know, does not. And that's 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 a true gift though. Like that having a, having an arm like that, that's that doesn't come along every day. Uh even for you know, really good college players, that's not something that you see a lot. Um, you know, guys that can you know, even if he's in the hole, like you said, he can turn face up and if he's got a, a square, he's got a good shot at still throwing that guy out even if it's a play in the hole. For sure. You know, on a backhand, even if he maybe doesn't catch it cleanly, he can still pick it up, square his body and then still deliver the ball across. You know, and that that's a gift. That's a rare gift, and you know, for a couple of catchers like us, we <laughs> we would kind of marvel at it mm -hmm. <laughs> at a certain point because mm -hmm. you know part of being a catcher is also having a good arm, but it all you know, not like that. No, that's that's a no. whole different I, level. I never arm. had anything like that. Yeah, <laughs> all of my throws together would never have been anything like that. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, I I hope we get to see you in action here um, at some point. I, again, I I feel for you. And I, I know you're constantly looking at the phone and, and trying to figure things out. I mean, even your, your games this, this coming weekend, which are supposed to be tomorrow and Saturday. I mean, all that's in flux yeah. now, too. So, you know, I mean, uh, if you need if you need a snowblower or a shovel, let me know. I'll come <laughs> yeah. out and help. I take we, you up on that. We, we want to get you guys here and, uh, and playing some games as, as quickly as possible. So good luck getting the schedule nailed down. And, uh, you know, definitely good luck the rest of the way. Looking forward to watching all this unfold. Thank you very much. Appreciate you guys having us. Coach Oaks. Isaac Ujere, thank you. Very our much. guests here on the round table this week. We'll take a break. We'll come back with more of I Have the Score right after this. Orkers Island Inn is now hiring, and there's a position just for you. Apply for front desk, housekeeper, bartender, server, cook, and dishwasher. We're hiring great people like you. Call or click for more information and apply today. Final segment of this week's Eye of the Swarm, and uh, I just I I want to backtrack a little bit, Matt, because it, it hit me between segments here that the the one I guess the one bit of kind of cool news that we did not mention is uh, congratulations, Dylan Milan, yeah, Yellow Jacket freshman goaltender on the men's hockey team. I was, was not expecting that. Who was first team All American? Yeah. And we didn't uh, we didn't throw that out in the the recent review. So congratulations to him. Yeah, sixty first All American in program history. Good for him, and he's yeah. the first one in a few years. So I think isn't he? No, he had Church last year. Oh, that's right, Church. Yeah, last yeah. year. Prior oh, to that, yeah, it had been a while. Was Church first team? He was not. He was second. Okay. Well, I I can't say that he didn't earn it. Uh, sure. He had a fantastic year. He did. You know, and 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 Rich McKenna's up for National Coach of the Year, which. Good for him as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know when that's announced. Is that going to be? Announced? It already was. He didn't get it. Okay, he didn't get it. But yeah. uh, you know, just being nominated 
for that is, is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, and I could see why. I mean, it was a very young team this year. You know, Dylan was one of the freshmen on the team and right. had a really, really, really good year. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and he was right up there, you know, either close or breaking school records for shutouts in the season. So, right. um, yeah, I mean, good for him. Uh, I, I, his performances were really, really good, mm -hmm. you know, basically throughout the year. He's very consistent. Yeah. You know, I uh, wish he would have gotten some more goal support. I know down, you know. Especially down the stretch. Yeah, yeah. down the stretch. But, you know, it doesn't take away from how he performed in net. So no, not at good all. Good for him. Yeah. Good for him. Not at all. So kudos to to him and, uh, again, Coach McKenna, too, like you said, for being in the running for the Eddie Jim Rye Award for National Coach of the Year. So uh, with that, we can put the winter sports season yes. to bed now. But yes. Uh, yes. Let's, uh, let's jump into the uh, very fluid <laughs> schedule for this coming week. It's interesting because they're, they're – Right now, uh, as I look at the schedule, John, it's we're supposed to have two game, two teams in action this week, and we're not even sure we're going to get that many. Right. That's where we're at right now. Men's and women's tennis are both off this week. That was, by the way, not because of scheduling. That's right. Just because that was they, that was a natural break. Yeah, in the that's schedule. a natural break in the schedule for them. Um, but uh, men's and women's outdoor track and field was supposed to be in action for the first time during the outdoor season, and of course, big expectations for both of those teams. Correct. Coming off the indoor season, but they had their season opener at the Hamlin Invitational, scheduled for Saturday at Kloss Field. And St. Paul canceled, and they now won't be in action until April 6th, the St. John's Open. And even that looks like it might be ambitious. That could be tenuous, too, because yeah. with everything that's in the, the forecast coming up here. So Right, so they're on hold. Mm -hmm. uh, the two tennis teams are not in action this week. Uh, baseball had their games scheduled for Friday and Saturday versus Northwestern that were supposed to be here. Correct. Postponed and moved to Reynolds Field in St. Paul. Now that might not happen. We that, might have to move those again. Yep, with the forecast there, that that potentially could be in jeopardy as well. So those could be moved again. Yeah. So as of right now, and this is on a Thursday. Correct. Those games are scheduled to be played on Sunday and Monday at Reynolds Field. Originally, those games they were supposed to be a single nine-inning game on Friday and two on Saturday at the MSU Spartan Sports Complex. Now, as of right now, in a fluid situation, of course. Games will be played on Sunday and Monday at Reynolds Field with a doubleheader on Sunday starting at 2 and 5 p.m. respectively, and then a single nine-inning game on Monday starting at 2 p.m. But there's a good chance that that could also change between now and then. So for more information on that, consult the website, uwsyelljackets.com. We'll get once those final destinations and final locations are set, we'll post those on the website. But, boy, you know, we're now we're starting to see that. This is where what we were talking about in the first segment, John, really comes Yep. home yep. to 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 kind of rest a little bit mm -hmm. or to roost as the case may be right where we now are we're literally playing it hour to hour day by day yep and that's it yep you know so who knows there's some good conversation going on between the two teams but they're trying to figure out where they're going to play and when right so that's uh that's what's up there but as of right now sunday monday at reynolds field in st paul again fluid situation could change just like that so yep uh, don't take my word as gospel that is far from the truth and then the other team that's supposed to be in action this week is softball. It's supposed to be playing their first home games of the year, playing UW-River Falls in a doubleheader at the MC Spartan Sports Complex. As of now, those games are scheduled for Saturday at 2 and 4 p.m. But again, fluid situation could well, be changing. It, it, yeah, because yeah. they won't be played at NBC. Yeah, right. We know that yeah. much for sure. Those games will not be played there. Right. It's it's what's the location going to be. Right, yeah. And I, yeah. I was told that uh, Miloski is not available, so that – they will not be playing anywhere in the Twin Ports. Where is it going to be? Right, yeah. And Miloski is the only field that's clear right now. Right. Uh, everything else is under snow. Uh, some of it sizable. Um, I happen to know the head coach over at uh, UMD, Lynn Anderson, pretty well. And even that was a task, trying to get the, the field cleared there. Because um, last time I talked to her, she described it as being knee-deep about as far as snow when she went out to look at it. So... You know, and if we get these storms that they're predicting we're going to get, it's going to be right back in the same boat we were in a week ago. Right. So, um, yeah, everything is literally fluid right now. We say that every year, but this year especially. So, again, uh, you know, the asterisk to everything I just said, again, is the website. That's the place to go and get the final word on what's happening. Because as of right now, this is time sensitive. This is where we're at. Um, I kind of feel like a news reporter saying that this is what we know at this hour. Right. You know, and that's that, but that's that's yeah. where we're, you know, that's where we're at. You know, and there's nothing any of us can do about it. So, you know, it is what it is. And then uh, we, we just try to play it by ear. And hopefully we, able, you know, at least in my case, I'll be able to get on the air and broadcast some of the games because both teams are pretty pretty tough this year. So, yeah. Yeah. Got that, that's the killer is they're going to be – they're both going to be very competitive. Yep. And you, you wanted to have that opportunity to see them play ball here at home. So, hopefully at some point all this melts and we, we have an opportunity to, to get them up at NBC. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
That'll do it for this week's ed- episode of Eye of the Swarm. For our production engineer, Sanyum Shrusta, for the Big Sound, Matt Johnson, I am John Garver. We look forward to having you again next week, and thank you for listening to Eye of the Swarm. Thank you.